Today we continue a sermon series called Head Scratchers, Jesus' Surprising Stories. These are parables or stories that Jesus told as part of his teaching and preaching ministry. And they have many good things to say to us and many challenges for us as well. Today I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 12. I'll read verses 13 through 21 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of today's sermon is Overblessed. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat. Drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. In his book entitled Subversive Sabbath, Professor A.J. Swoboda tells a story about his grandparents. They were traveling by car from California to Oregon to visit family when they stopped near the border to get their usual gas, snacks, and a lottery ticket. Later that night in the hotel room, his grandpa stayed up to watch the late news as they were announcing the lottery numbers. The first little ball to come out of the spinning globe had a number on it that matched his lottery ticket. The second and the third numbers matched as well so he woke up his wife and together 
They watched as the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh numbers all matched their lottery ticket. Shocked and overwhelmed, they had just won $4.6 million. They were blessed. I might even say overblessed. The next day, they showed their family members the little slip of paper that would radically change all their lives. In the months that followed, they paid off debts, they covered tuitions, they enjoyed vacations, but short-term thrills eventually gave way to long-term troubles, including anger and infighting in the family. After nearly 50 years of marriage, Swoboda writes, grandma and grandpa's marriage ended. Family members stopped talking and a cold bitterness took over. He concludes, more critical than a gift is how we handle the gift. The guy who approached Jesus in Luke chapter 12 was likewise mired in a family squabble about money. Evidently, he and his brother were feuding about the inheritance. So he raised his voice above the hum of the multitudes and said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus declined to settle their dispute, but he did not squander the teachable moment. He said to everyone within earshot, the man, the crowd, the disciples, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Can you imagine if Jesus had a PR guy with throngs of people flocking to him, his popularity skyrocketing? He has the perfect chance to grow his following and expand his platform, the PR guy pulls him aside. Hey, Jesus, let's focus on a theme that sells a little better. Jesus says, I'm not selling anything. The PR guy says, I know, but let's stick to those talking points I mentioned earlier. You know, health and wealth, power and prosperity, that sort of thing. Jesus says, but I came to preach the kingdom of God. Who hired you anyway? The PR guy says, Peter. Jesus came to preach the truth of God, whether it was popular or unsettling, whether it was attractive or off-putting, whether it increased or decreased his following. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, he said, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This is a crucial verse. In fact, I think it should be a memory verse for Christians. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. And life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
I've never seen this verse on anybody's list of memory verses, though. Not even once. In college, somebody gave me a memory verse kit. It was really nice, came from a store, had an attractive package and everything, and inside were these small cards with important Bible verses printed on them. I memorized most of them. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But nowhere in the whole package was Luke 12, 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I wonder why this verse doesn't get more airtime. Could it be because it blatantly contradicts a materialist mindset to which many Christians subscribe? We need this verse because greed constantly tempts us. You know, someone gets a solid car, but they want a fancy car. And once they get a fancy car, they want a boat too. And once they get a boat, they want a yacht. And once they get a yacht, they want a plane. And once they get a plane, they want a private jet. And once they get a private jet, they want their own spaceship. It never ends. Greed is a, a downhill road with no brakes. Someone else, you know, gets a mortgage on a 1,500-square-foot house, but they see a couple of streets over some 2,500-square-foot houses, so they get into one of those, and then they hear a few miles away there are some really nice 5,000-square-foot homes. Then they want a 10,000-square-foot home, and before long they want a 20,000-square-foot mansion and a lake house, a beach house, a place at the river, a condo, and on and on. It never ends. Greed presents itself as a straight line from here to there, but it turns out to be a circle with no exit ramp. There's no satisfactory amount of possessions or vehicles or homes or stock holdings, not if greed is running the show. Greed is an appetite that only gets hungrier when you feed it. What greed tells you when you don't have very much is you don't have enough. What greed tells you when you acquire a lot more is you don't have enough. What greed tells you when you have way too much is you don't have enough. As Jesus warns us about greed, he adds a parable to illustrate further. The land of a rich man, he says, produced abundantly. Sounds good so far. Nothing wrong with the bumper crop. The wealthy landowner now also has an epic harvest. He's blessed. I would even say overblessed. He thinks to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Here is the critical juncture in the story. Here is the decisive moment. The Greek says he debates with himself what to do about his extravagant harvest. 
Since he does not have room to store it all, he decides to tear down the barns on his property and build bigger barns in their place. This way, he can store his surplus for the future. Now, in terms of agribusiness, it sounds like a rather prudent decision. It's worth the expense of tearing down barns and building bigger ones because then he can wait until the market is right to sell the grain at a higher price point. By adding more storage, he's amassing an even greater fortune. This guy is a paragon of business acumen. He should be teaching at Harvard's MBA program. He should be one of the five people up front on Shark Tank. He could be on the cover of, of Forbes. There's just one problem. In God's eyes, he's a fool. His foolishness is founded on his flagrant disregard for God. Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This man is a fool, not because he's unintelligent, but because he operates as if there is no God. He functions as if God does not exist. He gives no consideration whatsoever to how life, land, possessions, and bumper crops relate to God. Instead, he's totally and utterly self-absorbed. I will do this, he says. I will pull down. I will store. He plans to store up tons and tons for himself. Notice that nobody else crosses his mind. Not family members, not friends, not neighbors, not the broader community, not persons in need. By way of contrast, the Old Testament character Joseph once welcomed a plentiful harvest, and because he anticipated future famines, he stored the surplus. But Joseph did not store it for himself. He stored it for the people. The rich fool, on the other hand, stored everything for his own benefit, his own gain, his own advantage. He is brazenly self-interested. The very embodiment of the Latin phrase incurvatus in se, which means curved in on the self, rather than opened outwardly to God and other people. This man was so acutely self-enclosed that he could not see over the walls of his own selfishness. Having no sense of God and no concern for others, he assumed everything at his disposal was to be deployed for his own satisfaction. He kept saying, my this and my that. Listen to him, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. He sounds like a preschooler that hadn't been taught to share yet. He also sounds like he's never heard Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. According to scripture, the land, the harvest, and the resources all belong to God. They are gifts from God to be managed for God. 
Yet the man says, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Not only is the hedonistic impulse misguided, but so is his presumption that he has many years left. Little does he know that there is a God, a loving God, a gracious God, a just God, a holy God, the God who is the source of life, land, and harvest, and little does he know that he's about to meet God face to face. Although his holdings are through the roof, he will never get to use them he doesn't know it, but he's about to die. We cannot save up enough money, goods, or resources to stave off death. Death is coming for us all, rich and poor, greedy and generous, strong and weak, believing and unbelieving. And when death comes, we will all be accountable to God. We will be accountable for our words for our deeds, for how we use our time and talents, for how we manage land, money, and possessions, and for how we treat other people. On this front, this man appears to be in trouble. It's no good making an A in business if you make an F on God's final examination. There was nothing wrong, mind you, with having wealth, property, and an epic harvest the problem was how he managed it more critical than the gift is how we handle the gift imagine just imagine if he had handled his many gifts with faith in God he wouldn't have seen it all as my crops my barns my grain and my goods to be used solely for the benefit of me myself and I Instead, he might have offered some of his surplus to family members, to friends, to neighbors. He might have shared some of it with the day laborers that worked his fields for low pay. He might have donated some to the local food bank. He might have sought to bless the wider community around him. Instead of saying, soul, you have many goods laid up, he might have said, Lord, how can I manage this bounty for your glory? Instead of saying, I'm going to build bigger barns, he might have said, I'm going to bless my neighbors. Instead of saying, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, he might have said, I'm going to serve the community. With a faith perspective, he might have looked around at all he had and said, I'm blessed. I would even say, Overblessed. I didn't make up that word overblessed, by the way. I learned it from a Christian friend. Years ago, on a chilly December night, I was leading a group of Christmas carolers from the church we were with at that time. We were at an apartment complex in a low income area of town. We were knocking on people's doors and singing Christmas songs to them if they would listen. One woman enjoyed our singing and she said, please come in for a moment. I have to show you something. So we walked into her home. I guess there were 12 or 15 of us. And she pointed 
to a large number of beautifully wrapped gifts on her living room floor. And she told us how thankful she was for the anonymous donor who had provided Christmas gifts for her kids because she could not afford to do so. And I remember her saying, I know God is real. I know the God you are singing about is real because these gifts are a miracle for my family. As we left her home and started making our way toward our next stop, I noticed that a man in our group, a dedicated church member and a man of means, looked emotional in his face. And as I approached him, he said to me, you're not going to believe this, but those presents she just showed us, our family bought those. I know it. I recognize them. Those presents were in our house just a few days ago. We got hooked up with a local organization that uh, matches people with uh, families th that are in need and can't provide Christmas presents for their children, and I guess we got matched up with them. I said, man, that is awesome. Praise the Lord. And he said, well, you know, we've been wanting to do something because we've really been overblessed this year. I have not forgotten that moment, partly because... I've never heard anyone else use the term overblessed. I've heard people say they're blessed. I've heard people say they're truly blessed. I've heard people say they're extremely blessed. But he's the only person I've ever heard describe himself as overblessed. He wanted to reach out and help out his neighbors because he saw himself as overblessed. When some of us get home later today, myself included, we might look around at what we have and find that there's a surplus. We might say, wow, I'm blessed. I would even say, overblessed. And we might see our abundance not as an opportunity to build bigger barns for ourselves, but as an opportunity to bless others, to reach out to people in need, and to serve the wider community in the name of Christ. This is the kind of faith that pleases God. This is the kind of faith that honors Christ. This is the kind of faith that takes the kind of action that leads to people having testimonies like, I know God is real because the gift that someone gave me was a miracle. This is the kind of faith Christ calls us to have and this is the kind of faith that is life real life, abundant life. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life consists of loving God and loving neighbor as we follow our truth-telling Savior. Amen.